at our Trimble campus. And so you can see information about where that's at. If you look it up online, just do a Google search, you'll find it, or you can go to our website or app, and you'll see it there. But that's going to be a great time to see our campus. Go up there and check out what's going on at Trimble and enjoy some fun and fellowship, some food. So, men, we hope you'll join us this next Saturday. And then right around the corner... It's almost the end of summer, and with the end of the summer is our Labor Day weekend baptism service. And so baptism Sunday that week, and we would love, if you've never been baptized, if you're a Christian, but you've never followed Christ in believer's baptism, this is a great opportunity for you to, uh, to, to take part in that. And so you can talk to a pastor, see one of us. We would love to talk to you about that next step of obedience in following Christ in baptism. That whole weekend's got a lot of stuff going on. Right after worship service that day, we'll go to baptisms. We'll come back, and then we have a picnic here. And so we hope you'll join us. You can RSVP on our, uh, our website again or on our app. Uh, church center app, and then you can also fill that out in the, or check that out in the, uh, the lobby. We've got a sign-up sheet out there. We just want to know you're coming. All we're asking you to do is bring desserts. We're taking care of all the other goodies, and so it's going to be a great morning of celebration as we have the baptisms followed by the meal. And then it's summer's over, school's starting, and midweek is back, and so this Wednesday starts off our midweek, and we have classes for Awanas, for the children. We have youth groups starting this Wednesday, as well as our support groups. If you're involved in a support group, those start again this Wednesday. And you can see more information on the app as well as in the lobby. Uh, also, and on the 6th, adult classes will start. And so adults, if you would like to be a part of a Bible study midweek on Wednesday nights, you can come starting September 6th. We'd love you to be a part of that. All right, I'm trying to get through all this stuff. Let's see if I remember. Oh, uh, Nehemiah Fest. Can't forget Nehemiah Fest. Yeah, right around the corner. September, David, 15, 16, 17, is that right? Is uh, Nehemiah Fest. And we hope you'll be a part. That Sunday morning, we'll be worshiping together over at the park, Smith Fort Park. It's going to be a great weekend of music, of fun, and we hope you'll be a part. And a great way to be a part is volunteering. They have a volunteers meeting today at what time, David? Two o'clock. Two o'clock today. He's pointing at something, so I, maybe it's on, it's on the screen the there. It's on the slide. Good job, David. Uh, so two o'clock today, there is a meeting for volunteers. We hope you'll be a part of that. And then it's time, with, again, with things kicking off, it's time for our new season of Mops. And Mops is a great ministry here at, uh, at Grace. And this morning, Rosanna Crawford is going to share a little bit about Mops, and then she's going to read our scripture. Okay, thank you so much. Perfect. Okay, so like you said, my name is Rosanna Crawford. My husband, Matt, and I uh, moved here to this area about two years ago, along with our three kids, Aurora, Eli, and Josephine. She's very social. She's probably hugged many of you. Um, but to start, I have a couple of questions for moms of littles in the room. Do you get excited to watch your kids grow? And also praise Jesus as you watch them sleep peacefully at night. Do you long for just a little bit of time to yourself? and then cry as you drive away from grandma and grandpa's house for the weekend with empty and quiet car seats in the back? Do you want to be a mom who has a community of other moms in her back pocket when the days are long and weary, while also desiring for Jesus to give you wisdom on how to journey through the very short and fleeting years of motherhood? With this gift of raising littles, we come to quickly realize that we need him and we need each other. 
We cannot do it alone. In scripture, we see that God created us to be together, working alongside each other in every season of life, and motherhood is no different. We believe that a special community of ladies who encourages you as a wife and as a mom is needed as you draw close to Jesus and allow him to fill you with joy and peace as you walk the road of raising your littles, which is kingdom work and an amazing, exhausting, but well worth it gift. We desire for every woman who walks through the door of our MOPS meetings to feel that they can come as they are and leave knowing more about who they are in Christ. Our desire is that our time together would be a place where every mom feels welcomed, loved, graciously challenged, and immensely encouraged in this journey with the Lord of raising precious ones. MOPS is for moms who are trying to find friendship as they navigate the beauties and trials of motherhood, and who also need a healthy reminder of God's desires for our lives in this beautiful role. Um, this was a quote from a mom in our group from last year. She said, Mops created some lasting friendships for me. I felt so alone until I found this group. It's truly a family. So if you have kids from newborn age through kindergarten, we would love to have you as part of our Mops group this year. We um, have a monthly meeting along with various other activities and events throughout the weeks. One important thing to note is that at these monthly meetings, Child care is provided by some wonderful volunteers. For those of you who have volunteered in the past as a mom in MOPS, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> For this upcoming year, I want to let you know where we're at as far as just child care and the need um, that we're trusting God to provide for. Um, as of last night, we had another gal sign up this morning, so this isn't 100% accurate, but as of last night, we had 64 kids signed up as part of child care. Right now, we do not have enough volunteers. Um, so if you are interested in volunteering to help out with MOPS childcare, whether for the first time or again, know that we greatly appreciate your willingness to do this. Volunteers don't have to prep anything. You don't have to bring anything. You just show up and love on some kiddos. Although it would be ideal, obviously, to have people who can commit to every month, if you can't commit to every month, but you're willing to come when you can, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Um, also, for everyone in this room, if you know of any homeschool middle schoolers or high schoolers, maybe your parents or your in-laws, grandparents, maybe some neighbors, um, you have friends from another church, anyone you can think of who could potentially help us out, we would so greatly appreciate it if you would reach out to them with our information or bring their contact information to us if you'd prefer. MOPS is an organization that offers moms of all walks of life to come as they are and experience authentic community practical help, personal growth, and spiritual hope. This is not possible without the help of many volunteers willing to serve each month. So would you be willing to be part of this beautiful vision for the lives of these moms of littles and their families? So for both moms of littles and anyone in any interested volunteers, please come to, we have a table set out in the lobby of the MOPS um, info table, and you can come after service and we'll get you signed up for your respective role if you're interested. Um, or if you have any other questions, please come and see us at the info table. Thank you so much. Okay, um, for scripture reading today, I'm going to read Psalm 105, 1 through 4. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Amen. Remain standing. Um, let me, let me tag, tag on to what she just said. Um, 
if you know anyone, and I want to add, that can pass a background check. <laughs> to watch your kids, that's, uh, they'd love to have you. Um, if Also about the Nehemiah Fest thing today, it's 2 o'clock, Fellowship Hall. There's a, also a volunteer scanner kiosk thing out there that they set up for me today. If you just want to know what the heck are we talking about when we talk about Nehemiah Fest, you don't have to commit to anything to be at the meeting today at 2 o'clock just to learn more about what's going on. But it's it's an undertaking and it's less than a month away. But, but God is faithful. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good. He's above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Love endures forever. you 
I just wanted to make sure <laughs> nobody said anything. I'm like, well, not, not that you had to, but, but we are here. God is great, and he's mighty and worthy of our praise today. And and then uh, and during the announcements, uh, Jeff also mentioned the men's breakfast at Grace. So I got a wild hair yesterday. I said, you know, that'd be a great men's day out. We always have ladies' day out, you know, kids, you know, they do that. They never knew a men's day out. So I thought, let's do this. We're going to eat breakfast. He forgot to mention that there's usually bacon there, which is a good draw. And then after that, every other Saturday, we've been doing a thing called gospel and gunpowder. And I've got a, we've got a private range south of town that we go and just show up and shoot and hang out. So we're going to eat breakfast, go shoot. And then I found out that at Rogers Sporting Goods, it's the whitetail weekend if you're a hunter. So we're going to go spend some money. Sorry, dear.
death on the cross, the blood that he shed for us to pay for our sins. He accepted the punishment that we deserved and yet you still love us while we're still sinners. But he made a way. There's nothing more. We can't add anything to it. If there's there's something that we think that we need to do, Lord, other than put our faith in him, then we're missing the point. Jesus paid it all. So we bring our failures, we bring our struggles, we bring our addictions, and we lay them at your feet this morning. Look into our hearts. Help us to see the truth of your word in the, in the message this morning. But most of all, turn our hearts towards you. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our families. We pray for our children. For the moms and the dads and everybody, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, make yourselves real in our lives and that we would, that would would be the overflow of our heart. Worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome and find your seats there and also find your Bibles, please. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. I've already been asked, yes. It's basically the same outline as last week. We got halfway through the message, if you'll remember, and we will uh, pick up where we left off. I'll give you a little review if you weren't here last week. Um, Before we get into it, I do want to say, and I acknowledge this, uh, mainly, not mainly, but 
precisely because my wife is a teacher that I know school starts up this week. And so um, I want you to know that uh, we pray for you. If you're a teacher, if you're an administrator, if you're a parent, if you're a student, um, we know this is a big you know, time of year. And so just know that you're in our prayers and our hearts are with you. And, and uh, we, we just want to ask God's blessing on the school year for sure, um, both from family perspective, school perspective, and... Um, Whatever setting that is for you, just uh, raise up that next generation for the Lord, if you would. So I want to make mention of that. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, as I mentioned, we kind of got halfway through the section that's in your notes and will be on the screen here. And I want to just make sure we understand, because we're going to get into the fruit of the Spirit in a, in a couple weeks. And a lot of people are familiar with that, but they don't know the context. They don't at least connect it to the parts around that, what Paul is trying to do. And so I want to make sure that is, is clear. Um, to get our minds started this morning, I want you to think about what a traitor is. Um, not traitor, like Trader Joe's, but traitor, like somebody that is inside and is supposed to be loyal and isn't. Um, history is full of stories of traitors. Uh, the Bible has traitors in it, mainly, um, many of you will know the name Judas. Judas was supposedly uh, one of the inside, he was one of the 12 disciples, and he betrayed, betrayed Jesus. And as I was thinking of this text and what we're... Traitors think they're doing the right thing. Um, Judas, um, at the moment, thought that was the thing to do. I don't know how he got there. I, you know, we can preach on that at some time. But when you betray what you're supposed to be loyal to... Usually, you think you're doing the right thing. You think there's a greater cause. You think there's a, 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 a different enemy. And maybe there's a, a, a monetary, you know, something at the end of that. But there's some reason that you can rationalize that that's the case. What Paul, I think, is trying to say is you are trying and you want to be loyal to Jesus Christ, but within you, there's a traitor. It's called your sinful flesh. And your sinful flesh will convince you that it's okay to follow it versus following the Spirit of God. And so we, we fight, as I said last week, I think towards the end, it's, it's the normal Christian life to have these struggles of, I want to do what God wants me to do, but I find in my flesh I want to do something else. And today we're going to get into a little bit about how those interact with one another, and eventually name some of those things that our flesh wants us to do, and then name some of the things that the Spirit of God wants us to do and will do through us. And so that's kind of the, the gist of this. We'll put these uh, verses on the screen, and some of it will be familiar from last week if you were here. But verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. There's that traitor. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And again, we'll pick this up next week. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, 
selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Some of you have memorized patience there. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul was saying you can't make people do this. There's not a law that makes people do this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay, let's pray. God, we're picking up where we um, left off last week, this contrast, this conflict between our old nature, our, our old sinful nature, um, sometimes very vile, sometimes seems very good, um, but it is opposed to you and what you're trying to do. And so God, teach us just again to put that, that battle in perspective this morning. Um, God, for those this morning that are your children, and yet fight against these things of the flesh. I pray, God, that you help us to learn what it takes um, to follow you and to get that part of our life in line with, with, your, with your spirit, God, and what, you would, what you've created us to be, which is to live free in Christ. So just do your work, God, if you would, please, through your word, through your spirit, and, and through your people here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is, this is review, and so we've got a big crowd here today. There's a, there's a big Sunday school class in Branson today, and honestly, all week I thought nobody's going to be at church on Sunday. Well, y'all, we don't need them, okay? So way to go, way to show up. Um, but some of you weren't here last week, and so I want to put it in perspective, even if you were, to remind you what we talked about. And so this whole section I just read, my first point was we're called to freedom. God has created us to live freely in Christ, and the subpoints are there. Um, it's, it's how we're made to be, and that is there so that we can love one another humbly, that that's the goal of that, and that there's no law, as I mentioned as I'm reading it, there's no law that can make you love somebody else. And frankly, there's no law that can keep you from not loving somebody else, and it's just not something that the law can do. And Paul's talking about the, the law of Christ, the law of God, I'm sorry, and the, like the Ten Commandments stuff. You can say, do not murder all you want, but Jesus would point out, but if you hate them in your heart, then you're really not fulfilling what God's heart is there on that. So that was point one. Point two, we all learned a new word last week, cacoethes, okay? And I, I told you, I didn't know that word until a week ago Monday, but it means you, our flesh wants to irrationally and almost irresistibly do something that's really harmful, that's bad for us. And so that's what that fancy word there means. We have these cravings of the flesh that we can't really fight against. They're just there gnawing at us. And so we must control the flesh. The problem is we can't control the flesh. We can't make rules. We can't even grit our teeth and say, I'm not going to do that because it's very strong and it's very powerful and it's part of who we are. So we have to do what Paul says is crucify the flesh. We have to acknowledge that part of me is dead. That, that died with Christ on the cross. And now the goal is for him to live his life through me. But that's where the battle comes in. That's where the flesh comes in. Um, John Piper says at this point, Praise God for this struggle because it means you have the Holy Spirit living within you. See, if, you don't, if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, if God's Holy Spirit is not within you, then you don't have that conflict. You just do and even rationalize what it, the flesh says. And again, sometimes the flesh may say to do good things, it seems like, but the Bible says those are filthy rags when the only reason you're doing it is to impress somebody or feel good about yourself or, or whatever. 
So that's the, uh, the summary of, of last week. Part three then, or point three, is we have these carnal fightings, okay? I know I get too clever sometimes, or I think I get too clever with outlines. I, I, every word means something, whether, so let me explain what I mean by carnal fightings. When we live in the flesh, whether it's all the time because we don't have the Spirit of God in us, or in moments as a Christian when I give in to the flesh, and with that list that's there that Paul will, will give us, um, I am going to fight. Okay? There's, there's going to be a fight at three levels. I am going to fight with myself, or more specifically, with the Holy Spirit within me. My flesh is going to want to do one thing, and the Spirit of God within me is going to want me to do something else. I can't tell you, and, and boy, if you ever want to mess with yourself, study the Bible, because I, I could point out probably a thousand times this last week where I could say, this is what I'm going to talk about on Sunday. I want to do this, but I know God would want me to do this. I mean, it really comes down to those moment by moment sometimes, yielding to the Holy Spirit. And I can't say I did this perfectly, but just acknowledging that God wants me to do this, or God would rather me do this, and I really want to do this instead, Okay. So we have this fight now just with the old nature. The Spirit of God within us is in conflict with the old nature that needs to be crucified. The other, and, and that kind of bleeds into the other conflict we have is between me and God now. Because if I am regularly telling him no, or even at the moment telling him no, then now I don't just feel it within me, but I am putting a, a, a distance between me and God, that what he says and what I want to do are in conflict with one another. And so now I feel the internal conflict, but I also feel this kind of eternal conflict, like with the spiritual thing going on. And what Paul will point out is, too, it's not just, and, and this all, these always, I think, work together. I've got this conflict within me. I yield to the flesh and not to the spirit. Now I've got conflict with God. And guess what? I'm going to have conflict with you, too. Anytime I live in the flesh, I'm going to, as he says, you're going to fight and devour one another. And so all these things are, God says, remember, if you live by the spirit, you will humbly love one another. But if you live by the flesh, you're going to bite and devour one another. And so that's what's going on here. And in the setting, Paul, it's, it's like you're trying to be really good people, like legalistically, not because of the spirit of God. When you get self-righteous, guess what? You're going to bite and devour one another even when you're trying to do the right thing. And so that's the conflict. That's what I mean by carnal fighting. So underneath that heading, point A, these two things are fundamentally different. Verse 17 is really where we're picking it up. For the flesh, that's the old part of me, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit is, in contra is contrary uh, to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. So we all have these desires, it says, the desires of the flesh. Let me give you some other biblical um, verses that kind of flesh this out. No pun intended. Matthew 5, 28. I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay? That word lustfully there is the word desire. It's the same Greek word. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. These things occur, Paul's talking about other things that are happening, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So a fleshly desire is a lust. It's something you set your heart to have or to do or to buy or to act or whatever, say. James 4, 2, you desire but you do not have. And so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get. So it's this word desire. Luke 15, 16, the story of the prodigal son 
He longed to fill his stomach with pods. There's that word again. It's something you just desperately need, you think, and you want to have. Luke 22, 15, a more positive example. Jesus says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. It's something Jesus really wanted to do. And then finally, Paul or Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There's that traitor part. So we have these things within us that seem kekoethis, okay? They're, they're irresistible, but they're not good. And so they, they come us against people, they put us between, before God, and it says they're, they're in conflict with the Spirit of God within us. Conflict is a military term, I think I shared this last week, that means you're lined up against one another, okay? It's an old-fashioned Western duel, okay? So the thousand times this last week when my flesh was telling me one thing and the Spirit of God's telling me another thing, informed by the Word of God, it's like, all right, okay? I, can, I, I, want to, down, I think it's in Grandview, there's the big cowboy that sells cars, Max, I think is his name. I picture that in my mind now, it's like, all right, here we go. Flesh wants this, and who's going to draw first? That's, that's what's going on here. And, and again, it goes on till the day we die. Paul in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 will just talk about, there's this thing going on within me. I wish it weren't so, but it is. Charles Spurgeon, he says a couple of things. I'll read you a longer quote here in a second. But he says, Lord, save me from that evil man. That evil man is me. Okay, That's our great struggle. That's our great enemy. That's the traitor within us. Here's what he says further. A garrison is not free from danger while it has an enemy lodged within it. You can bolt all your doors and fasten all your windows. But if the thieves have placed even a little child within your doors, you can draw the bolts for them. The house is still unprotected. All the sea outside a ship cannot do it damage till the water enters within and fills the hold. It is clear, our greatest danger is from within. All the devils in hell and tempters on earth could do us no injury if there were no corruption in our nature. The sparks that will fall harmlessly if there is no tinder. Alas, our hearts is our greatest enemy. This is the little home-born thief. Okay? So that's the idea. We have this conflict within us. And what I like is it works both ways because I can readily put myself in the position of my flesh wants this and it's opposed to what God wants me to do. It also works in the opposite. Paul says not only is your flesh in conflict with the spirit, but the spirit is in conflict with the flesh. And so I've been talking and I think you've been thinking along these lines. I have this temptation, you know, it's something of the flesh and the spirit says, don't do that, don't do that. The opposite is true. The Spirit of God is, having, is, is prompting me and informed by the Word, telling me to do certain things or not do, and my flesh will fight against it. Does that make sense? In one way, I'm tempted, say, to lust or to steal, and the Spirit says, no, don't do that. In another instance, or the flip side, the Spirit is saying, I want you to go share with that person. Or I want you to sacrifice something here so, that, so you can help that person, Right? I want you to, to yield to that person now. I want you to, to do whatever. And what's going to happen is the flesh is now going to rise up against that. Oh, you don't have the time or you don't have the money or you, don't, you got other things to do. And so these two things are in conflict with one another and each is trying to take more ground 
And as we give our little duels there, we either go one way or another. That's kind of the game that's being played. So point A is just that. These things are different from one another. They can't coexist. Point B is the flesh on display. Um, he gives quite a list here, and we're going to pick this up specifically next week. I've, I've warned you for a few weeks. Next week's going to be tough, okay? Um, because it's real easy to see this list and say, I can tell you the people that are doing that. Paul is writing to us in the church and saying, you're the ones doing this. So I'm going to come after you, okay? If you, if you think I'm going to get in this list and start, you know, going to Facebook news and telling you here's what's going on out there. No, Paul's concerned with our hearts. That's the whole text here. But he says, and point B is, it's on display. So verse 19, for instance, says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. What he's saying is, if you see these things going on, you can be certain it's obvious, it's clear to everybody that they are not walking by the Spirit, they're walking by the flesh. The Spirit of God will not tell you to do these things. So moments or lifestyles, these are the kind of things that, that reveal that a person is worldly, that they're fleshly, that they're not listening to God. And so then he goes down this list, and I've categorized them this way, and, and there'll be some redundancy next week because we'll get into these. But the first group is under immorality, okay? He says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I'm very tempted to define each one now. That's for next week, but you can picture that's not a good thing. There are Im there's immor immoral things that our flesh wants to do. Secondly, idolatry. And you might check out on this one, but I'll get you next week. Idolatry and witchcraft. Okay? Thirdly is irritation. Now, I know the first two, you can say, well, that doesn't happen in the church. Tell me if you've ever seen these happen in the church. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So, if you, again, just go to the third one is intoxication, drunkenness, orgies, and in case we left, left, left everything out, and the like, okay? If you see people living with immorality, idolatry, they're irritated or intoxicated, they're following their flesh. They're not following the Spirit of God. And so, it's, again, just obvious. You can look at that person and say, they're not acting like a saved person. They're not acting like the Spirit of God is leading them. Um, thirdly, is fellowship is destroyed. And this is what I was saying. If you live in the flesh for a moment or for a lifetime, you're going to be in conflict with yourself. You're going to be in conflict with God. You're going to be in conflict with other people. Okay? If you bite, it says in verse 15, and devour each other. There's a, a couple of commentators that call this Christian cannibalism. It happens in churches, it happens in denominations, it happens in families, where people who love God but are operating in the flesh destroy one another. They bite and they devour. They say, he says, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. A, a good-intentioned person but operating in the flesh will ruin what they're trying to fix. And, and that's what Paul is saying. If you live that way, you're just gonna, it's going to ruin the whole thing. He says in verse 26, for instance, let us not become conceited. And this is where that legalism thing comes in. I think I'm better than I am. I think I'm better than you. Conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let me give you a few Greek words here. Conceited. Um, we sometimes use the word vain. But it's connected to here, it, it, there's a, it's a combination word, but it means you, have, you glorify in yourself without any reason to do so. Let me put it that way. It's vain glory. 
Meaning you think you're pretty good, but you have no reason to think you're pretty good. If you're living in the flesh and, and you get a zinger in on that other person, you think, well, I just showed them, and you think, God, I'm you know, better. No, you're not. You have no reason to think that because you're measuring yourself against the flesh and the world and not about the Spirit of Christ within you. So you're conceited, provoking. It means to basically to call to oneself to challenge. It's the old dual thing. Can you ever feel yourself doing this? It's no longer about what it was about. It's about I'm going to be right. Maybe I'm the only one that is dumb like that. That I don't care. We're not even talking about the same thing here. I'm going to be right. This, this is maybe a little marital advice I'm about to share with you. Um, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's helpful. I hope it is. Those little things. Jana will be here in a second service, by the way. She'll, I think, agree with this. Those little things that irritate you. Okay, check this out are little things. That makes sense? But over time, those little things are, we dig in our heels and it's like, let me pick on me, okay? I'm sloppier than she is. All right? I could go down the list on things that, about her that irritate me, trust me, right? But I know the things about me that irritate her. Is being sloppy a reason to dig in my heels and just be right about that? Or should I pick up my shoes by the front door, Right? It no longer becomes about, those little things are little things, but it's, it becomes the fight. And that's what provoking is. It's like, no, I'm against you right now. We could probably both live with the compromise, but neither one of us are going to get there. That's, he's saying you end up, you, you think you're better than you are, you provoke one another, and you envy one another. You don't like it when somebody else is better or has success, and you don't. And Paul says, when you do this again, you will devour and eat each other up. And again, he's writing to the church. I can point to a million examples of those things in their culture. And you can too. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about us. And he's saying, watch out, or this is how it will go. In Ephesians, Paul would write this, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay? That's why he would say in, in Galatians, use your freedom to humbly love one another. He says in verse 21, and we'll get to this next week too, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's serious business. Two points, and, and again, we'll flesh it out a little bit more next week, but when it says live like this, that means that's your habitual practice. Like, it, he's not talking about the moments that you give in and then you repent and you, you know, work through those things. He's talking about somebody that basically says, well, that's just me, right? I, I'm going to live like that. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the Spirit of God within me is saying. It just describes my, my lifestyle, my personality. It's not lapses in, you know... Er, you get disillusioned studying the Bible sometimes because a few weeks ago I talked about Abraham, great man of faith, friend of God. He blew it constantly. So did David. So did Moses. So did everybody on the planet except Jesus Christ. And so it's not those moments that we fall. It's what do we do at that moment? Do we repent? Do we yield to the Holy Spirit? Do we come back to God? So this is a lifestyle. Those who live like that, that there's no evidence that they're even trying to work with the Holy Spirit within them. And he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of God is something, and again, don't make it too, um, too futuristic. It's not just floating on the clouds someday. A kingdom is where the king rules, right? If I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I don't follow Jesus Christ, then I'm not living in the kingdom. <coughs> Excuse me. The kingdom of God is not just something that happens someday out there. We're, we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It should rule my heart. It should rule my home. It should rule my church. That Christ, through his spirit, informed by his word, is how we do things around here because he's the king. Later on in the book, Paul will say in Galatians 6, 8, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And we'll get to that in chapter 6. Finally, point four is Christ's fruit. Back in chapter 4, Paul had said, My dear children, whom I am again in pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. The fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist that says, If I, I want to love, I want to have joy, I want to be peaceful. I want... It is Christ being formed in us. It is the, spirit, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not necessarily the deeds of the Spirit like it was the deeds of the flesh. If I am yielding to the Spirit of God, then what will happen to me and that what will come through me is the love of God and the joy of God and the peace of God and the patience of God. Those will become, I don't want to call the way I naturally do things, but the way I supernaturally do things. And, and I just thought of this, but that's a, quite a list too. That's a miracle to take somebody like me and make me loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. That's a work of God. That's a, that's a new heart. That's a new life. And so we have under that point A is the fruit of the Spirit. Again, um, you should see these in somebody's life who is yielding to the Spirit. When we, fall in, when we follow the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, we keep in step by the Spirit, we bear fruit. More specifically, He bears fruit. Okay? If, if I, on those moments when I'm fighting the Spirit in my flesh and I give in to Him, I'm going to be a more loving person. I'm going to be a more joyful person. I'm going to be a more patient person. I'm going to have more self-control. I mean, the very act of saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit is an act of self-control. And so it just starts coming, coming out that way. We, we really do we reap what we sow. Jesus would put it this way. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing doesn't mean you can't have a career and all kinds of fun. It means you can't live in the kingdom of God, re revealing Christ to the world through you if you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not having that relationship. He would also say, Jesus, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. He would tell the, the Pharisees, produce fruit in keeping with righteousness. These fruit are as much of, of, of a gift of God as anything else. It's not something we just do, okay? If you say, I'm just going to be a more loving person to show how loving I am, that's a filthy rag. But if you say, I'm going to love that person the way Christ loved me, they don't deserve it, I don't want to, you're truly loving them from the heart in a way that reflects God, not in a self-righteous kind of way. Point B, and I know we're moving quickly here, is following the Spirit. He says in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Last week I used the illustration of the school kids on field trip, right? You're going to Kauffman Stadium. You don't need to say don't jump in the fountain because you stay with your class. And as long as you're with your teachers and your sponsors and your classmates, you're not going to jump in the fountain. 
As long as we're in those moments by moments saying, I'm going to do what the Spirit asked me to do. I'm going to do what the Spirit's leading me to do. You won't end up in the fountain. Or more to the point, you won't end up in immorality, idolatry, irritability, and what's the last one? Intoxication. The Spirit of God will not lead you there. The Spirit of God will show you what pleases God. It will enable, he will enable you to do what pleases God. And he will frankly let you enjoy what pleases God. It will be a whole change. And then finally, point C is freedom of the Spirit. This is where we started. We'll come back to it. Verse 13, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's something you were not free to do until Christ came and lived within you. You cannot yield to the Spirit because your Spirit's dead. And so that gets me to the conclusion where we can, um, I, I hope, apply this a little bit. I'm going to ask you four questions to see how this lands with you. First of all, are you dead in the Spirit? Okay. This, I'm not, this is not a psychological question. I'm not saying do you feel dead inside or anything like that. I'm saying if you're not a Christian, you are dead spiritually. You might say, well, I can breathe and move and all that stuff. But spiritually, you do not respond to God. You may think there's a God and all that kind of stuff, but you do not respond to God. You're dead in your spirit. An unsaved person is dead spiritually. And so here's how Paul would put it in Ephesians. I'll put this up here on the screen, I think. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in, our, in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So my first question is, can you say without a, a shadow of doubt, my, I have been given a new heart, that I am alive in my spirit towards God? I'm not talking, again, psychology here. I'm not talking emotions here. I'm talking, does your... Does the Spirit of God live within you? And the way that happens is you confess your sins. You confess your dead to God. And say, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. And he will give you a new heart. If you're dead in your spirit, and I'm talking in the salvific way here, God's wrath is what you deserve because you've turned your back on the one who is holy, who gave you life, who has given you a way to eternal life. And a holy and a just God cannot just look the other way at people that rebel against him and, and do wicked, evil things. And so make sure you're alive in your spirit. I'm talking about salvation here. Make sure you've given your life to Christ. Secondly, and this hits maybe more of us, make sure you're, or are you, I mean, this is the question, are you developing in the spirit? Because you might say, well, that all sounds good. I'd like to do that. And yet we do absolutely nothing about it. Several months ago, I shared, man, I wish I knew Spanish I could have known Spanish. I took Spanish, I think both in high school and college. I paid good money to learn Spanish. I've been to El Salvador. I don't know no Spanish. Because I did not do what's necessary. I was given the opportunity. I was given the resources. I did not do what was necessary to learn Spanish. And some of us say, well, I wish I could live more and walk more with the Spirit than in the flesh. You can Okay, let me give you a few examples. Make sure you're saved. That's point one. Secondly, make sure you're reading your Bible. God wants to speak to us through his word. 
Make sure you're around other believers. That's why church is so important. God will speak to you and guide you through other peoples as well. Make sure you pray. Just talk to God. Make sure you're involved in things God's involved with. Serve other people. Serve in all these things we offer you to get involved with here. Also, you're going to suffer, and that's part of the way God is developing you spiritually. But those, you can't just go on with life and not keep in step with the Spirit. Those are like muscles that we, we form. Thirdly, because I can do all those things and not do the third point, are you deferring to the Spirit? I can know the Bible verse, I can know why, I can know all these things, and when I pull out my fleshly guns and he pulls out his spiritual guns, I shoot him dead, right? It's at those moments where I have to say no to me and yes to God. It's called faith over feelings. It's called saying no to, it's called crucifying the flesh and staying in step with the Holy Spirit. And I have a feeling for a lot of us, this is like, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know what you need to do. You know what you want to do. You just, at those moments, don't do them. You don't defer to the Spirit of God within you. I don't know where this phrase came from, but I, I've thought of it often during this time. There are a lot of saved people who are not surrendered people. We think we're following Christ, when in reality we're not following as he leads us moment by moment, day by day. And then finally, and I, I don't, uh, I'll end with this, we need to depend on the Spirit because I can, here's the scarier part about doing everything I've told you so far. The Spirit of Christ tells me to go talk to that person. Well, now what? So let's say I walk over to that person, I want to say something. You know what Jesus would say? I'll give you the words to say when you get there. I have to depend that God, once I take that step in the spiritual direction, well, then give me the next step. And if I sacrifice something to serve somebody else, that somehow he will provide what I just sacrificed. I have to trust that he will lead me in directions, that he will also follow me up, and, and I can depend that he will make that work. That's called faith, right? It's called being sure of things we cannot see. Let's pray. God, um, I liked it better, frankly, God, when these lists in the Bible were just lists in the Bible, when I could just rattle off love, joy, and peace, and patience. It's harder, God, when you ask me to live like that. And God, it's easy to see lists of the Bible like sexual immorality and envy and, and just say, I wish those people out there would be different and then look and realize it's me you're talking to. God, I pray in this room that if there are any dead to you right now, that they have never asked you to give them new life, that they've never been born again. God, help them understand that um, they are far from you and they deserve your wrath, but you have made a way out. You have made a way for a, a new life, a new heart. And that'll bring conflict, God. That'll be hard at, at, at times. Um, but what a, what a freedom it is. So God, I pray for some to give their life to you for the first time. I pray many of us, God, that we would commit ourselves to uh, developing the spirit within us, that we would be reading our Bibles, that we would be serving, that we would be doing those things that you ask us to do that help us develop there. And God, I pray even today, but as this day goes on and this week goes on and school starts and jobs get back at it, that when we're faced with those moments of decision, 
that we will stay in step with the Spirit and crucify the flesh. And God, then we trust that you will do what only you can do and bring glory to your Son through that. God, someday we will all sing that the Lamb is worthy because he was slain. Not just to forgive us of our sins, though he's the only one that can do that, but to give us a new life. And so, as we're about to sing God worthy as the Lamb, help us mean it um, in your kingdom here. God, help us mean it now, um, not just someday out there. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory. Amen. We are going to do that. We're going to stand and sing. Sing it like you mean it. I'll be up front if you need to pray or anything like that, but uh, let's stand and sing.
It's easy to sing that song and think, I can picture Jesus and control the heavens. And then, but I'm asking you to think of him and control your heart, right? The heavens obey the, the voice of the Lord. We're the ones that don't. Um, we're the ones that don't. That's what Paul's trying to get. God bless y'all. Have a great week. Um, back at it, school year and all that kind of stuff. God bless you. Have a great week.